0: Even when everything changes, nothing does. Yet if Wakanda Forever is Marvel striving to stay on course, it's also a genuine departure from almost everything that has preceded it, and for that reason alone, should be seen. That's Jake Wilson The Age of Australia talking about Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Massive opening this week at the box office, and that is our new film this week. In fact, we have a ton of new movies to talk about because the film critics Documentary Awards just took place in New York City, and I went and saw them, and they sent me a link to watch a lot of these movies. Now, a lot of these movies are going to be nominated, I believe, for Best Documentary when it comes to the actual Academy Awards. So I went and saw a bunch of these and was able to stream them, et cetera, et cetera, so I have stories from those awards. So essentially, I've got four documentaries I've seen. Good Night, Oppie, which is massive, Fire of Love, The Automat. And uh, Sydney, which is fantastic. Sydney Poitier documentary as well. So four docs as well. That means no old movie this week. I I teased at the end of last week's show, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. But then I looked back, Cody, we've already done Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. We did it last December for episode number 200. So listen, everyone should go watch Planes, Trains, and Automobiles if you have not. Me and Cody love the movie, 35th anniversary. But unless your mom has a review, there's really no point in rehashing
1: Nah, she didn't even have one. She's like, you guys did it in December. You don't need (laughs) me to give you a review. So I was like, all right, no problem, Mom. She's locked in on the show Before we get to anything, massive news, and this just proves in life, you just have to
0: ask and good things happen. So I say to my buddy Chris Cody, hey man, I have not seen you since we've been, you know, been reincarnated here a year and a half ago. I'd like to come down and just see you guys. Haven't, you know? haven't seen any of you guys since I've now been a part of Metal Ark Media. Now that baseball's over, I got some time. Cody goes, yeah, he goes, Well, you know, you should come for Moss. I'm like, Oh, is, is Moss happening? He's like, Yeah, for those who don't know, no, Moss, Miami, massive event. Meet and greet, party, like it, it's awesome. December tenth. Yeah. So I said, all right, get your so tickets. I, I text Bibble. I'm like, okay, well, hey, um I, I think I text Mike Ryan first. I'm like, I'd like to come down. Uh Chris tells you Moss is happening, I can just go and Cody goes, Oh, but we'll make a big we'll get you a table. Like we'll we'll make a big deal of it. And then sure enough you text me, you go, Hey. You're the host! I'm like, yes! So now, I was worried about having to pay for my flight. I'm looking at Southwest, middle seat. Can I stay at the Clevelander? Now, I don't have the uh, you know uh, uh, confirmation yet, but apparently, free flight, free hotel, just to come oh, see yeah. you guys. And I get to host Moss December 10th. It's going to be incredible.
1: Oh, yeah. It's a good time. Billy Corbin has hosted it in the past. It's not that much work. It's just a few getting up on stage a few times throughout the night, introing a few things. Yeah. But it's a fun night, man. It's a great ego boost. If you're there's so many diehard fans of our show and you will have lines of people wanting to take pictures of you. It is, wow. it's, it's, It's almost harmful for the ego because it makes people like me feel like I'm important because it's like I have like a line of like 38 people waiting to take a picture with me.
0: You touched on a lot of interesting things there. One, the fact that I'm insecure, but I don't think that I will get that massive ego boost. And that's my fear. I think I'm going to go there and people are going to go, oh, my God, it's Billy. Hey, it's like, I know you're popular. Obviously, Dan, Dan does not like talking to people. So I know he is constantly ducking them. Stu and you are the guys who are the most accessible, the most, you know, warm. I think Mike's probably, I can see Mike Ryan be a little aloof, like he'll be friendly for a minute and that's it yeah so I worry that I, I will be the guy being friendly because that's who I am I'm like you but I think that they'll be like mm, I wish I would have talked no, to Dan dude, but it was it was odd that I talked to for an hour
1: these are not the casuals though. These are the diehard Levitard show fans that have listened to every episode for the last six years. So they remember your butt. Like these yeah. like we don't have a ton of new fans. Like our numbers with podcasting, they've grown a little bit, but we have like our base, they just like stick with us. So like I yeah. I'm thinking 85% of the people at Moss have been with us long enough to remember the Ad Dan drop-ins. Like right. they, watch, they they listen to Cinephile now. You're gonna, I'm All telling right. you, at least 20 to 25 people waiting in line to take a picture with you.
0: I can't wait. This is going to be awesome. I'm, I'm pumping the ego boost December 10th, like Chris said. Tickets available now. I've already had a few DMs. People are like, "Hey, I'm going to come down and see you." I said, "Okay, great. I'm, I'm looking forward to it." Oddly enough, I don't know why I went down this rabbit hole, but I was thinking about just the show in general, how Mike Schur has really become a guy. Like I was, I wasn't jealous, but I said, you know, during the World Series, the playoffs, I wasn't on the show at all. But I'm like, I did really like Tim Kirchin and Mike Schur. Like they're they're the baseball guys here. So I ended up looking back, and I remember was Mike the one? I'm like, yes, he was the one. If you haven't read it, you really should read Mike Schur's article on the Levitard Show for Slate years ago. Oh, yeah. That was the introduction to you guys, and it's actually a great article. Like, objective of my friendship with you guys, how so much I love the show. He really explained what you're talking about, which is that like undying brand loyalty. It's a great article. I just read it again. It was really well done.
1: No, Mike Schur has become uh, a big party. Does the stat of the day? He's been on like every day now for like months now. Like oh, yeah. a little too like he, we don't pay him enough for that. I don't think it's a lot to ask of him. <laughs> but uh, that's honestly like you should have been on during the World Series. That like it's not something where we made the decision. Hey, we're going with Kirch and Schur over Adnan. We just. <laughs> We fly by the seat of our pants, and we forgot to book you.
0: No, it's all good. The fact I'm going to be a part of Moss is what I'm pumped about. But speaking of cities, I'm going to be in Chris's city. I was even more pumped up. He was in my hometown of Toronto. Mm-hmm. He was there for the Hockey Hall of Fame, the great Roberto Luongo, all-time great Panther. People love in South Florida. And you and Roy, as hockey diehards as, as it gets, were there for the Hall of Fame. I want stories. How was it?
1: It was great. Um, Toronto, I... Thoroughly enjoyed. It was like a, like everyone says it's a cleaner New York. Definitely got those vibes. Got some good food. The hockey stuff. It was kind of cool because like, you say I'm not like Roy's the diehard hockey fan. I'm more of like casual. Gotten into the Panthers. I mean, but you're a season year. ticket holder, which I'm impressed by. Right. But it was a good juxtaposition on like the diehardest of fans and just like a casual hockey fan. So we kind of clashed on that. It was really cool. The weather was a little dreary, a little cold for me. My fingers were icicles, but I only had two days there. So I didn't get to really explore a lot. It was a lot of just like focusing on the work. But uh, I enjoyed it. It was cool to be it, see the Hockey Hall of Fame, the yeah. Legends game. We were on the red carpet for the induction ceremony. Uh, got some fun content that's coming out this week. Uh, it was it was overall, obviously, like a really cool trip. You told me
0: that you and Roy were going, you know, things to do in Toronto. So, you know, obviously, I said it's a lot better in the summer when it's warmer. But, I you know, I said Tim Hortons and the keg and all that kind of stuff. So then I texted you. I'm like, hey, did you guys make it? And you, I, love, I love when people do this. I do this as well. You don't respond to the question. You just send something which affirms what you're looking for. So I'm like, did you guys make it? And then you just send a video of you and Roy on the ice. <laughs> That's that awesome. You
1: literally said that as I was standing on the ice at the Legends game. You're like, hey, did you guys make it? So I just like did a little video for you. But uh, Tim Hortons, its it, I hear it's Canada's Duncan. Yeah. Right? It, it, it was okay. Uh, all right. I mean, Dunkin's food's not that good either, though. Like, it's just one of those things. It's a staple. You go to it, but like, it's not like you're not blown away by the stuff. Like, no. I ate the dieted donut. I had a coffee. I was like, yeah, it's fine. it's you know, it's good. Okay. Maple dipped is what I love, and specifically, you're, I'm not a coffee drinker,
0: so I, I trust your opinion. If you're like, oh, the coffee is okay, I'm like, I believe you. But I love the French vanilla, which I I believe
1: is a. I don't even know. I think it's a cappuccino, okay. but
0: it's it's okay. basically just a lot of sugar. So next time I'm gonna get you a French vanilla. You'll definitely like yeah. that. But either way, I'm we glad went up you the
1: went. CN Tower. We we went to the top of the CN Tower, and we realized about halfway up. That we hate heights. Ugh. So uh I was like <laughs> going up that elevator be. and we paid 10 bucks to go to like the top of the thing, the yeah. even more high. And it was just like, we regretted it immediately. And it was like, yeah. I mean, it was obviously beautiful views, but Roy and I <laughs> quickly uh, yeah. realized, why did we do this?
0: No, I'm with you. And like that elevator goes fast. like it's speedy, but I'm like, it's still like 170. whatever. Hell I don't need is, like,
1: windows. Like, I don't yeah. need windows in that elevator, especially they have one in the floor where you can look down yeah. and see the whole shaft. It's
0: yeah. like, no, that one's terrifying. Because there's one – this guy was telling me, he goes, if you look down, there's one area that's, like, completely solid. And then if you jump, it looks like you're jumping down. I go, no, I don't want to do that to myself. Like, I know what you're saying, the illusion of, like, hey, look, it's solid. And now, look, you can see where you would fall. I'm like, I I don't want to do that. Like, that's –
1: I don't like to be in positions where I'm, like, talk. – I'm, like, saying a prayer to, like, engineering and technology. I'm like, hey, just keep me alive. Just – Hey elevator, make it up this one more time, please. Yeah. You can. You can
0: <laughs> but I'm sure it's like something in South Florida. You just do it once, just to do it. Like if you, if you go to Toronto, yeah. go to the scene. I did it. That's it. I never do it again. It was yeah. like fifty-seven dollars. Okay, hop, cool.
1: Hop, hopped on. on a city bike and started biking around to try to see the city. Yeah. Uh, quickly realized it was too cold for that. I, I realized I was like, all the bikes are available. No one else is biking right now. What's going? On? What's? And then Roy and I, like idiots, just.
0: <laughs> I can't wait for that video. I, I'm looking forward to the content this week. I hope that gets released. You and Roy. Side by we side, had, on a bike together.
1: Oh no, that one. That one was just us. Our video guy did not get that. But we yeah. do. he have stuff from the red carpet. We have a video, a social video that's coming out for that. Nice. Um, and we have a just a video of our legends slash hall of fame, all that nonsense. That's so we have awesome. two good videos coming out. The red carpet one was funny because we were at the edge of the red carpet, and there was like a step down from the sidewalk onto the red carpet. And everyone was tripping. And so literally our beat on the red carpet, we interviewed some people, but also our beat was just monitoring who was tripping and falling, walking onto the red carpet. And people did. It was such a, uh, uh, like, they were so worried about, they put like six security guards right at the ledge telling every single person that walked in, watch your step. Watch your step, uh, and it was funny to just see big groups of people walking in. It's like up, oh, someone's gonna fall here, someone's yeah. gonna fall here, and they fell. Perfect, oh. they didn't fall, but they stumbled. Yeah, no, no, no falling. But my, my friend
0: Bernie in college, he thinks there's nothing funnier than seeing stumbling, stumbling, and falling. I'm like, you, you That's sick he person. Is, but he thinks he thinks it's hysterical. Like he would, he and, would spend. If it's an icy day, he would just stand outside. and Look, laugh. <laughs> this guy just laughing. And it's even
1: more into. funny when you can like predict it when you're on camera, being like, this guy's about to fall, and then they're walking, they're walking, yeah. and then they stumble. It's such a good payoff. It's like we're chi- we're children, but it's yep. fun. It's a good
0: sidekick. Uh I'm glad you guys had fun in Toronto. I went to the, as I mentioned, the Critics' Choice Documentary Awards. i never been before. I've been to the Critics' Choice Awards, of course. Me and Max Reddoss went years ago. He was my plus one, and the great Ben Lyons hooked us up. So this time, I said, I got the invite, too. Let me go check it out. My man, Mark Simon, loves his documentaries, and they sent me a link to watch a bunch of the docs, which I'll get to in a second. But my wife wants to go purely, as you would know, Just for the celebrities, like I've told you before, the Sopranos party, we had Ethan Hawke, we had James Franco, we had Stevie Van Zandt, the Jimmy Kimmel after party I took my wife to again, Ben Line took this up, Matt Damon, Michael Keaton, John Favreau, your cousin Ray Romano. So she's there just for the celebrities. I'm trying to tell you, listen, it's documentaries. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, maybe Ethan Hawke directed The Last Movie Stars. Maybe Ethan Hawke's there. He lives in Brooklyn. He's going to pop by. Maybe George Clooney is, like, a really socially active guy. Maybe he has a friend who has a documentary about Darfur. Like, maybe. But, like, yeah. probably not. It's probably just those guys who you picture with the horn rim glasses, and they're sitting there, and, like, they're really nerdy and passionate about documentaries, as they should be. I was right. When we got there, I start looking <laughs> around. I go, I don't see any celebrities.
1: I see You one, were the biggest celebrity. I,
0: honestly, I was probably in the top 10. Like, I, I was not being <laughs> humble. I'm like, I would get recognized more than most of these people. And at one point, I look over and I can hear the voice. It's very familiar. And I don't know if you know the name, but if I say to you, Richard Kind, you know who I'm talking about. I do. If you Google it, you know who he is. He's in Curb Your Enthusiasm. He was in Spin City. He was the voice of Bing Bong and Inside Out, which your daughter may have seen. Great, great movie. Obviously, you love that movie. Oh yes, yeah. I
1: love this guy. Yeah, you don't. Write oh, him. So yes. anyway, I
0: said, I go, that's Richard Kind. She goes, who? And I go, Richard. You know who? You'll know who he is. I'm like, that's Richard Kind. What a
1: great Curb character. Oh, he's. He's like straight. annoying cousin. He's the <laughs> annoying cousin, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the guy's hilarious. Now he's pretty tight with Rogowski, so I, I immediately texted Scott. And I'm like, hey. Richard Kind is at this event, this guy goes, not surprising, if there's a free meal, he'll do it, and <laughs> he, he was like the third presenter, I go like, oh my god, we have Richard Kind here, but that, that really was where it peaked, after that, it was like some guy who had been on some cop show, and then I just never heard of the guy before, I'm like, alright, another presenter, never heard of before, I'm like, alright, well, you know what, the fish is good, and it's still cool to see the little clips of the documentaries, the cool part was, having, I didn't realize how many docs we've done on this podcast, like, Willie Mays doc was not eligible because it's so recent, but 38 at the Garden, the Jeremy Lin documentary, that was up for best documentary short I'm like hey that's, that's our doc. didn't win unfortunately best sports documentary the winner was Citizen Ash and that was like a year ago we talked to that director so when he went up there I'm like oh yeah that's great I know that guy that's awesome so I was really happy uh, 30 for 31 for best uh, long running series I don't know it's been like 13 years for 30 for 30 so it was really cool to see like stuff that at least we did you know touched in a little bit of a little bit of a manner Barbara Koppel of course the great documentarian she was honored with the uh, Lifetime Achievement Award Harlan County USA she won an Oscar for obviously been brilliant for many many years uh, Andrew Jordan who I love he did Capturing the Freedmans, which was one of my favorite documentaries and The Jinx which is on HBO he was there presenting but here's the big one alright just look with the Oscars and Best Picture it's always a pretty big star to announce the biggest award so I'm saying to my wife I go so far Richard Kind is the biggest celebrity here oh and then it was actually a pretty good one the 30 years as David Letterman's band leader, I go, Paul Schaefer. Well, Paul Schaefer was oh, yeah. pretty good. You took good.
1: a picture of him. You yeah. took a picture of him.
0: So Paul Schaefer, I was pretty and he mentioned Canada in this speech. I'm a little guy from Canada. I'm like, hey, Paul Schaefer. So we're we have Paul Schaefer and Richard kind, So far. I'm like, who is going to be? Because best picture is always, you know, Jack Nicholson, you know, George Clooney, I guess. It's going to be somebody yeah. big. Take a guess. I mean, it's not like really you guess, but take a guess hmm. what she's a musical artist. She's done Broadway. She's done music. You would know her from an animated film, which was a massive hit your daughter has seen for sure. You think uh-huh. of Frozen, let her go. Oh, and, uh, Adina uh, Menzel. Uh,
1: yeah. So, Nadel Nazim.
0: <laughs> which is the first thing I thought of. I'm like, I wish Travol- Travolta was here. The wickedly funny Adele Tazim. I'm like, you moron. How could you screw up? So the only really cool celebrity moment I could tell you is she came out and at the end as we were getting our coach she walked right by me and my wife were like, Yeah, she's okay, worry. I'm like, right, well Adina Menzel said hi to us. After party again, I'm like, I said to my wife, I go, like no one's gonna crash the after party. Like Denzel's not just gonna show up. Like this is right. This is the same people here. So let's just get on home. But some really cool documentaries to lovely focus on. and uh, So you guys would have gone to the after party had there
1: been a better list.
0: A uh, thousand percent. Like, and, we, <laughs> and, and we went there for honestly 10 minutes. And again, if there's free food, kind of like Richard Kind, we're going to eat. So I go, like, oh, there's more free food. OK. And then the food was OK. And
1: I looked around. And I go, it, it's not going to get better than this. Like, it's, you know, we, we, this is about what it is. Look at the point you've reached in your career where Richard Kind, Adina Menzel yep. and Paul Schaefer are just like, nah, I'm good. <laughs>
0: It's true, what an insult to them. <laughs> They're like, what? This vert guy thinks we're not good enough? Like, really? I'm like, hey, it was cool to see you, but, you know, it is what it is. Ten minutes, ten, yeah. t- few hors d'oeuvres, ten minutes, outie. Exactly. It's been fun. Uh, I look forward to supporting your cause next. What time were around. the hors
1: d'oeuvres? What they have? What was the spread like?
0: Good question. So um, the hors d'oeuvres were great. There's was like a lot of like little cakes. Now I like my sweets, obviously, but I like cheesecake. and you know, I like ice cream. This is like those. Oh, because little... it's
1: after a party, so it's later in the evening, so it's more just straight to desserts. Correct.
0: So it's a lot of like little cupcakes, little, little chocolate cakes, yeah, and stuff, brownies. I'm, good. I'm like, yeah, that's not Peace. really my thing. I'm like, yeah, See you I, later.
1: I, and trust me, I like my sugar, but I, I'm out. Maybe pigs in the blanket, maybe a little meatballs or something. Yeah, they did like, have meatballs.
0: We're... Actually, meatballs was there. A lot of okay. salad. I'm like, oh, man, these Hollywood touches. They're oh, yeah. so healthy. I'm, I'm out like, of here. <laughs> See, yeah. go, gluten-free. Kale. Congratulations. Yeah, 100%. Kale. I go, I'm good. Kale
1: smoothies for yeah. everybody.
0: I'm not going to have a cabbage at 10 o'clock at night, but thanks so much for the <laughs> offer. <laughs> (laughs) So let's get to the movies, shall we? Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Massive film. I believe it opened with just gigantic numbers. You all can tell me how great it was. You can always tweet me at CinephilePod. I think it may be the highest November opening ever. You knew it was going to be a massive movie, and I really enjoyed it. Was able to go see it uh, on opening night. And here's the plot synopsis. The people of Wakanda fight to protect their home from intervening world powers as they mourn the death of King T'Challa. It is uh, directed by Ryan Coogler. He co-wrote it along with Joe Robert Cole. And it's... Kind of like that blurb that I read off the top. It's really unique as far as a Marvel film because it's of that cinematic universe. But I like the fact they don't cross-pollinate. Like, it's just the Black Panther world. So you're not just going to see Iron Man show up. Like, it is cool when the Avengers have all of them together. No doubt. It's like, you know, Ocean's Eleven. You have all these movie stars together and all these characters together. But I like the fact Black Panther is very self-contained. It's in that world. And the movie starts out on a very somber note, which is just so unusual to see in an MCU movie because of the death of Chadwick Boseman. So it begins off with, like, a real... Tribute to him and a funeral, and it's you know not
1: words you'd expect
0: for a superhero movie. It's mournful,
1: it's dour. it's Is sullen. it like the script that's being read? Like, is it are they talking about the king, or yes. is it are, is it like a thing where it's like they're doing both at the same time? Well, that's what's the, the beauty of it is that it kind of has that dual meaning and dual purpose. So they're talking about
0: the king, saying the king is gone, but you feel like they're saying Chadwick, even though they're not using his name. Like, they're, right. it's like they didn't get to say goodbye to the actor because you know he. Died without telling anybody he was suffering from cancer for years. So almost everybody on the set I don't know how you could keep it a secret for that long, but nobody knew he was sick. Nobody knew he was that ill. So it almost feels like they were deprived of that opportunity to say goodbye to him in real life, and now we're saying goodbye to him on the screen to a fictional character that he played. So it's working on a multiple. So the emotion
1: levels. you're seeing from these characters, it's like they're doing the they're they're reading the script, but you can see that their emotions are for Chadwick. That's. It had to be wild.
0: Yeah. It's really cool to see on that different level. So, Ultimately, you say, how are you going to replace Black Panther? You end up getting, like, four fantastic female performances. Like, you're not going to have, like, it's not like when Rocky moves on, all of a sudden, you know, Michael B. Jordan's Creed, now we got Creed Three coming. And in this case, it's like, well, who's going to be the new Black Panther? Instead, they have a quartet of terrific female performances, including the great Angela Bassett, a woman who just does not age. I mean, black don't crack. She still looks fantastic, still could kick anybody's ass. I mean, Tina Turner, what's love got to do with it? So anytime you see her in a performance, she's just so regal as the queen kind of presiding over everybody, and then she's got these, these young up-and-comers, And and it's a really good cast. Lupita Nyong'o, who uh, won an Academy Award. There's some random people showing up as well. Martin Freeman is in the movie, a British actor. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, at one point, is in the movie. And, like, I had to kind of scratch my eyes. Like, I I got LASIK years ago, so my eyes are okay. But sometimes I'm always like, maybe I'm not seeing this properly. I'm like, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, I mean... I want someone to correct me, but I'm pretty sure that is her. She did show up for a scene of this movie. I was not expecting Julia Louis-Dreyfus to show up in Black Panther Wakanda forever. So Chris will do a quick Google check right now if we can check IMDb credits, unless I've totally lost my mind and was eating too many milk duds at the time. Uh, Ruth E. Carter, fantastic job as always. I mean, she's just so, I think, vital to this entire enterprise. When you're watching this kind of a movie, you say, it can't be just the story. It's got to be someone like Ruth E. Carter, who is a legendary costume designer. In a story in which they are looking for vibranium, it's your costume. They're as vibrant as ever. Do we have confirmation? It is Julia Louis-Dreyfus is in the movie. I love it. <laughs> yes, I, sir. I would love to know the story of how Ryan Cougar was like, you want to do this movie? It's called Black Panther. we kind of forever, kind of a big deal. Sure, I'll just show up for a cameo. But he's obviously a very talented director. My, my issues with it, real simple: two hours and forty-one minutes, bloated storyline. It's a little convoluted the way they're traversing the globe. I appreciate the spectacle and the ambition of it, but could have tightened it up a little bit with some of those supporting characters and the action sequences. Although very well done, quite a bit of CGI. I do miss the days that when you can see action. You actually said to yourself, No, that. That's 150 extras. Now you're watching and seeing a thousand people going, that's not a thousand people. This is all computer generated, and there's maybe five people. And it's a bunch of blue screens and green screens. And sometimes right. it can look great. And there's no question Ryan Kugel knows how to bring the heat, but at times I could kind of tell that it was a little bit CG. But overall, I-, I thought it was a powerful film. I thought it was different, even within that MCU universe. So I will give it three Maple Leafs. And I'm sure if you're a Black Panther fan, you're really going to love it. Uh, Chris got a good assembly here of reviews because it's kind of been, I wouldn't say, I mean, it got good reviews, but there's just kind of different vibes to it. Katie Walsh at Tribune News Service says Kugler pulls off an incredible feat despite some story stumbles, creating a superhero film that is emotionally affecting, politically and culturally urgent, and that pays loving tribute not just to T'Challa, but Chadwick Bozeman as well. Carolyn Seed of Fox Coogler and Company haven't made a perfect Marvel movie but they have made one that channels loss into thought-provoking artistry and Sarah Michelle Fedders of Moviefreak.com I find I respect Coogler's sequel more than I actually enjoyed it and that's as disappointing a turn of events as anybody could have imagined and Anupama Chopra a film companion two hours and 41 minutes this is one of the longest films in the MCU and there are long stretches in which it borders on boredom I was weepy but also weary that's a hell of a blurb mm. well done <laughs> Uh, let's do some documentaries here. There are five of these, all right? Five for fighting. Five documentaries. Don't worry. I'm, I'm going to fly through these. <laughs> I was going to say, we've got to be quick. You yeah. Good Night, Oppie. So this won the top prize, the Critics' Choice Documentary Awards. Say this for the Critics' Choice. If something wins there, it's going to do well at the Oscars. So this documentary is definitely going to get nominated for an Academy Award, and it's probably going to win right now. It's the favorite. Good Night, Oppie. If you're a space guy, not sure if Chris Cody's into space, if you like astronomy, if you like Mars, I don't think it's your thing. But if you are, <laughs> listen up, people. You're going to love Goodnight Oppie. This is about the journey of this robot that they created and sent it to Mars. It was only supposed to go for 90 days. Ended up going for 15 years. Now... That's just fascinating to me that anybody would devote their lives to this. You had these engineers being interviewed, and they're like, you don't understand my whole life. I've just been obsessed with Mars, obsessed with astronomy. I love science, love engineering, and I've just been working. And I'm like, I just can imagine like nine to five, just grinding it out, trying to build a <laughs> robot. And that robot is going to go to Mars, and then you're going to control it and see what's happening. And hundreds of people. What Ob-
1: year did it go? You said it was there 15 years. Like, what year did it go? Uh,
0: Stephen Colbert was interviewed at one point, talking to them about it. So I don't know the exact years, but I'm going to say uh, but- it was in the uh, – In the 2000s, because they're going back...
1: That's what I mean. These 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 guys probably started working on this in like the early '80s, and yes. they didn't. Like, and it's like twenty years of just like nothing until they finally get it.
0: You know, you're right because the video when you see them, they got like that '80s look. They got like salt and pepper mustaches and the glasses a certain way. And then when you see them now, you go, oh, "Okay, they clean it up. Now they're clean shaven, totally bald, but like they look more presentable." So I'm like, "This this stuff is taking place in the '80s and '90s and 2000s." But I, I just I admire people who have that kind of sense of purpose and they're just so devoted to it. Again, astronomy isn't necessarily my thing, but. I, I did appreciate the journey. And it's interesting, the affection they have for the robot kind of made me think of the animated movie Wall-E, which I, I really did quite enjoy. In many ways, that's like a silent film for much of it because you end up having this affection for what some might term a piece of junk, but others would say, no, a very, it's AI. It's you know artificially intelligent, but a brilliant robot. At one point, the robot knows on Mars... Like, they, they built within the contraption to know that if there is danger around, to stop. So he, the, the robot starts going down into a crater, and rather than hit the rock, knows how to stop. And I'm like, that's just that's impressive to me that you can build something that has some form of human intelligence or the wherewithal to know what to do. You get beautiful scenery as well of Mars, and a lot of this, is again, is, is recreations and computer generations, but you also see what Oppie was able to do, as they call it. So, good night, Oppie. It's the favorite to win the Oscar. I'll give it uh, three Maple Leafs. The one that I really loved and I wanted to see win and this was the runner-up for the Critics' Choice Documentary Awards. I think it will definitely be nominated for an Oscar. Hopefully, win. It's called Fire of Love. Now, this story is fantastic, and this this fits to me what happens with documentaries. You know, documentaries either they're like very socially conscious movies, and it's about like I don't know, gay marriage or civil rights or something that very passionate people are getting behind, gun control, or you get documentaries like these, which are just about really crazy people like just obsessive people who go on these weird journeys and that's what this documentary is and that's that's kind of my jam intrepid scientists and lovers Katie Katya excuse me and Maurice Kraft they die, spoiler alert, die in a volcanic explosion doing the very thing that brought them together, unraveling the mysteries of volcanoes by capturing some of nature's most explosive imagery. I mean, it's it's shocking to see the amount of detail that they got with these documentaries. and It's distributed by National Geographic. I saw it on one of these many, many streaming services that we have. But Cody, just imagine if you and your wife were like, you know what? I just love volcanoes. Like, I just, I want everything about volcanoes. And then you go to Hawaii and you have to wear like these crazy, like, you know, not even hazmat suits, like space suits. And just to try to go close to the volcano, there's so much that I learned about volcanoes that now I can appreciate them. Like, the lava, just ridiculous, right? A thousand degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. If you touch it, you'd completely melt and die. But, the black volcano is worse than the red. Meaning, the volcano—if you want i think of a volcano, you picture the red lava spewing.
1: Yeah, it, I've seen before that black. I didn't know it was worse, though. I've I've seen yeah. pictures or videos of that black stuff coming out. That's worse than the red. So the red one's
0: not that like it's. I mean, it's obviously hot. You don't want to get touched by it, but it kind of follows a path. Once it erupts, it kind of can go down a stream. At one point, Maurice has this crazy idea. He's like building this boat, like a raft, and he goes, "My dream is to like see the lava coming down." And then have my wife and I transported on this boat and just ride down the lava. And I'm like, that is just insane.
1: (laughs) Suffice to say. (laughs) What kind of boat could could sit on
0: lava? Right. Like, you know how hot that thing is? There's just no way you can sustain this. But this is the kind of ideas this guy is up day and night thinking, like, how can I make this boat? I just want to be able to ride on a boat of lava. Like, that's what (laughs) this guy going. But the red lava is not nearly as dangerous as the black. The black, like, oh, my God. When the black lava comes, like, oh, not even lava, excuse me, just the black volcanoes they're just emitting these just horrible gases and it's just so explosive and dangerous and deadly and you even have a sense watching the film narrated by Miranda July the talented writer director that they're not going to make it so i like the fact where right at the gate she's like hey these guys didn't live like if you're going to chase volcanoes in your life probably not going to work out for you if you're, if you're a volcanologist Like, a hell of a job to be able to tell somebody, like, what do you do for a living? I'm a volcanologist, really. Like, your lifespan's not high, because you're chasing volcanoes. You're chasing that high. But this is their high, and I appreciate anybody who's obsessive and crazy like this.
1: It's a morbid thought, but, like, when these two people who are obsessed with volcanoes are in the act of dying from this, are they like, this is how I want it to go? Or are they like Ron Burgundy in the bear pit? Like, I immediately regret this decision. (laughs)
0: great reference (coughs) excellent question all we know is that when they died you know through science they were able to tell that they were exactly next to each other which is a sweet thought it wasn't like one was trapped over there and one was like no help me but when they died it happened together was it instantaneous that I do not know that makes me
1: feel like they were happy That makes me feel like they held hands and they're like, this is it, honey. Like, if we're going to go, look, they're going to make a doc about us one day. And Adnan's going to be at the awards where we're going (laughs) to finish runner-up.
0: It probably is true that this was their dream and the the way they wanted to go. Because they said nothing else gave them this kind of happiness. You see video of them, like, in a tent. They're they're pitching a tent, just waiting for the volcano to blow. Like, that's their life. Like, did you want a sandwich? Maybe some carrots to nibble on? I can't wait for this volcano to come and potentially kill us. And her job is to go back and put together the books. So she takes a lot of pictures, puts the books together, and then he goes and lectures. And that's, that's their life. They get money. They go chase volcanoes. In the meantime, there's a deadly side to this. Like the, the one volcano they go see erupt, I think in the Philippines, and it killed like 250 people. Like it's horrible. Like the, you're chasing something which is very destructive. And by the way, you are, you are reveling in it while it's causing damage and destruction and to others. And you want
1: it to erupt. Like, if if I ever went and and saw a a volcano, the last thing I would want it to do is erupt. And these people are like, everybody, these people are like,
0: yeah, yes. Yeah,
1: like, this is costing human life, and you're like, oh, but I love it. Like, I
0: feel bad for people would die, but I just love freaking volcanoes. Like, it's just my jam. <laughs> it's, it's I'm like, what? it's just a disturbing story, a disturbing life. But I loved it. I thought it was a great yeah, documentary.
1: Yeah, I'm intrigued. You, I'm intrigued in both these docs, honestly. Yeah,
0: they're both really good. Fire of Love, I'm going to give three and a half Maple Leafs. I liked it a little bit more, and I hope it ends up being an Academy Award favorite. A couple more we'll dive into here. The Automat, real quick. This is bizarre. I apparently used to have restaurants called The Automat well before you and I were alive, well before our parents probably were alive. I think it's like maybe like 30s and 40s was around. Particularly in New York City and in Philadelphia, you would go into a restaurant, you'd have a nickel, and you go into a, it's basically just a, a series of vending machines. And you say, okay, I feel like cheesecake. You'd put a nickel down, open the, the door, boom, cheesecake is there. Now all that stuff would be in all those separate containers. So the first question immediately. So if you and I went for lunch, they go, I got a nickel. Yeah, put a nickel in. I feel like a Salisbury steak. How long has the food been sitting in those containers? That's the first <laughs> thought. Like Mel Brooks is talking about it. He's one of the featured people, and he's hysterical. And he's like, Oh my God, it was the greatest. He goes, You'd go there, you had a nickel, you and your buddies, you're like, Oh, I feel like um, lemon meringue pie, boom. And he goes, No waiters. You never had to worry about tipping. He goes, It was awesome. I never do, you don't tip anybody. You, you cut out the middleman, you just get it. But the flaw of this documentary is they never answer that question. Now, at one point, they see people working downstairs, and like, you almost put the food on a conveyor belt. Okay, uh, eggs suddenly set up. Okay, eggs, sunny side up. Boom. and boom. It goes up the conveyor belt. It's in there. But I want to know how long was the food in there? That's my first yeah. thought. You and I would not go there. I want fresh food.
1: Food. Why would I pay five cents for like a day old pastrami sandwich? It it sounds like a modern day 7 Eleven where it's like, how long have those taquitos been sitting on that oh, roller? How absolutely. long is that pizza and chicken wing? Like I kind of want this uh seven chicken wings for a dollar fifty. Yeah. But I don't I don't know how long these wings have been there.
0: It's funny you mentioned seven eleven I took the kids the other day just pick up some ice cream and I looked at that. It was two slices of pizza and a Pepsi for like five bucks so like Dude,
1: the, the way deal. they chart it's so cheap. I actually in Toronto, I'm surprised I didn't bring this up earlier I saw a something you'd see on social media this lady this homeless lady losing her mind in a a 7-Eleven she like had taquitos she's like they're spicy and she throws them at the poor people working and they're being so respectful she's like give me a hot dog instead they after she's thrown them at them she they give her a hot dog they're like please just leave here's a hot dog she takes a bite she's like it's cold and the, she's like i want a refund and the guys just like oh my god She's like gives the money back to her just to get her out. It's like, you've already thrown taquitos. You're stealing this hot dog. I'll give you your money back just to leave and she's, she's like berating them and then all of a sudden he like picks up the phone to call the cops and she like stumbles out but I was like it obviously made you sad because she wasn't oh. right in the head she's homeless right. it's cold like I felt bad for her but I also was like god she's being really mean to these people so it was, it's something you see like on an internet video like it was the first time I've ever just like walked oh. into a store and experienced something like that
0: it's jarring because you're not sure how to get involved like right you're, you're an observer right. but you don't want to be involved you're like oh.
1: And she was like muttering stuff or like she was even like threat. Like she was making threats. Like I, she didn't seem like someone who was carrying a weapon. So I wasn't like thinking her threats were real. But she was like, it was, there was like a moment. There was like three of us. There was like two dudes next to me. And we were kind of all just standing there. Like we're all just standing here. Like we're not going to get involved. But if she keeps like, like if she gets like, I don't know. Like we were just, it was, I've never experienced anything like that in person. It just got real. And it actually jumped us perfectly with the Automat. Because
0: one of the issues that led to the decline was not the food like in their heyday? They were rolling. People loved it. You could just go like in Manhattan for your lunch break, put a nickel in, have some food. Awesome. Well, what led to the decline? Partly was inflation. Like wait, after the World War, like you got to charge more than a nickel, and all of a sudden it's like you know. Twelve cents. People don't have the right change, etc. But also the homeless people. They had an issue with what they called squatters. People would go in there and go, you know what? It's so much room in here because it's not it's not a typical restaurant with waiters and wait staff. Yeah. Let me just sit in and hang out. And that became a real problem. You're sitting there trying to eat, and a homeless guy's like, Hey, seriously, I have a sandwich. I like, give me a nickel. Come on. So it ended up leading to the demise of the automat. But quirky documentary. Uh, I believe I saw it on HBO. I'd probably give it two maple Leafs. So I thought it was okay. It's really short. It's only like an hour and fifteen minutes. But I, I just had too many unanswered questions. Like why would you actually go to this place when you could just go to get fresh food.
1: I did have the thought about uh, being homeless in Toronto because it's freezing. Oh, And like, it's literally, we're walking by at night after dinner. It's like 10 p.m. It's 31 degrees out. And there's a guy just like sleeping on the sidewalk. Now, he Play, he was sleeping on one of those like vent things that like shoots up hot air. Yeah. So like, at least he had that. But I was just like, I was doing the thing. I was like, if I was homeless, I would be in South Florida. Like, I don't yes. know how all South all homeless people aren't in South. Like, we do have a lot of homeless people d- down here. So, like, they- a lot of them are down here. But I don't know how anybody is homeless. <laughs> I know it's, like, kind yeah. of a dick, like, like they obviously don't choose to be homeless, right but it's like if I was homeless I would fi- I would find a way to get money for a bus ticket and just ride it all the way down to South Florida. like yeah, it's it you- how anyone can be homeless in thirty degree weather and it's gonna get only colder is wild.
0: yeah, homeless in Toronto, Chicago, Minnesota like it's horrible. That's when you go to the same thing with South Florida, same with California. Like I love California, but there's a lot of homeless people in San Francisco and San yeah. Diego, and Los Angeles. It's a real issue. So it's. Um, I guess
1: they're everywhere. It's that's wild, man. Homeless yeah. is that's obviously it's just terrible. Yeah, it is sad. It is very feels though. so bad.
0: Uh, one more film to talk about, and then we're going to get to our uh, wild card, which is Eric the writer director of Weird Al. And that is Sydney, which is one of my best documentaries I saw all year. I thought it was fabulous. I'm going to give it three and a half paper leaves. I thought it was tremendous. I'm going to give it four Maple leaves. What the hell? I thought it was great. It was really well done. And it's a story about Sydney Poitier, one of the great actors of all time and the first true great black leading man. And they've got an assembly of really talented people talking about him. Oprah Winfrey was really important to the documentary. Uh, she produced it. And the award won something at the Critics' Choice Documentary Awards. I can't remember what it was now. But the director was funding his speech. He was like, you know, thank you to Apple Plus for distribution. And more importantly, thank you to Oprah Winfrey because if she wasn't here, this would not get made. But you know, real labor love telling Sidney Poitier's life. He passed away last year, and um, let No, it he passed like- away
1: in January. No, he passed away in January. Oh, this year. This year. Sorry, that's right,
0: that's right. January of this yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. So the documentary comes out now, and what's what's so special about it is so much of it is him narrating it. So often you see a documentary, it's somebody else narrating a person's life. Uh, But this time, it's Sidney Poitier telling his life story. And he talks about growing up in the Bahamas and, you know, dealing with racism when he first came to America, wanting to be an actor. And I just, I thought it was fascinating. Um, As Spike Lee at one point says, it's not easy to be in the first. Like when you're the first great black leading man, there's a lot that comes with that, there's a lot of positives, a lot of negatives that come with that and the good news is, he was a really talented actor, when he won best actor for Lilies of the Field, you felt that was a gigantic seismic moment, and he's talking about it, you see his face when he's running to the stage, he's like, I kept saying, I won, I won, I can't believe I won, this is amazing, Uh, he's the first black man to ever win best actor, and then he goes on this incredible run, in the heat of the night, which is such a spectacular film, I only saw it for the first time a few years ago, but it's amazing, they call me Mr. Tibbs that famous line, when he gets slapped, he slaps the guy back, amazing, him and Rod Stock together, Norman Jewison, the great Canadian director. He makes um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, you know, which is a little bit dated at times, but still has Poitier's presence. And, you know, at one point, Halle Berry's talking about how handsome he is. She goes, oh my God, like I wanted to marry Sidney Poitier. He had that just strong bone structure and he had such a a princely state about him. Uh, That movie was very notable with uh, the Stanley Kramer film with Catherine Hepburn. And they also did To Serve With Love. So he has this trio of like great films, gigantic films, And then it's weird. I can't imagine an actor today if you had a string of box office success like that, and then it kind of just fell apart. And the reason why is the world changed. So he went from being the first black actor to ever win best actor. He pulls off a trio of gigantic hits. And then the 70s come... And all of a sudden, people look at me and go, "Well, Sidney Poitier is not cool anymore." Like Sidney Poitier is who white people like. That's who the establishment likes. That's who they think when they think of a black actor. But now, all of a sudden, black exploitation is blowing up. Now we're making films of Jim Brown, in which he's got a shirt off, sleeping with white women, and killing people left and right. And you got a lot of movies that Elvis Mitchell just spoke about on a cinephile last week. So Sidney Poitier became. Irrelevant in a lot of ways because the world around him changed, which is just so unfair. Like He he himself remained a great actor just because he was in films that white audiences adore did not mean he was not passionate about civil rights or about the black causes. But it kind of dovetails what we've done recently here in the podcast, which is showing black entertainers who rightly or wrongly were mistreated and still were really impactful in their discipline. I'm talking about Willie Mays, I'm talking about Louis Armstrong, and I'm talking about Sidney Poitier. So it's really cool uh, being able to see this documentary and appreciate that lens through him. Ends up being a really good director, did, did comedies, he did stir-crazy with Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. That was a massive movie. Remember the scene where he's teaching him to dance and like Gene Wilder's in blackface? I mean, today politically incorrect, but a really funny scene and, and Sidney Poitier made a really famous movie there. And, and Robert Redford at one point goes, what I admired about him was that once things started to go down for Sydney, like he just accepted it. He wasn't like, I'm going to keep making him movies, I'll keep making movies, two movies, years. Like, no, it's fine. Like I had a great run. I won an Oscar. Now if the culture has changed and, and movies that I'm going to be in are not as wanted, it's fine. I'll kick back, hang with my family. And the personal stuff is really interesting. Uh, unfortunately, he had a really acrimonious divorce with his first wife. It makes you think about the one daughter says, you know, I love my dad and I love my mom. But when they split, people go with the famous one. So, like, a lot of the mutual friends they had, it was like, who are you going to choose, Sidney Poitier or my mom? Well, I'll choose Sidney Poitier. So, she's like, it, it was kind of sad for my mom when the divorce happened. My mom yeah. not only lost a husband, but lost a lot of her good friends. I'm like, yeah, that does suck. Ends up leaving her for, um, I believe, Diane Carroll. They had an affair for a little bit. That didn't work. I ended up marrying a second woman who was very happy in his life the rest of the way. And, of course, if you're an Oscars fan, you know the moment when Denzel won the Oscar for training day. Halle Berry also won the Oscar for Monster's Ball. First time ever. Two black actors win Best Actor, Best Actress. And who was honored that night with an honorary Oscar, even though he already had an Oscar of his own? Sidney Poitier. And they showed Denzel's speech where he goes, Sidney, I've been chasing you for 24 years. They give me one, they give you one. And Poitier's laughing. He's in the balcony holding up his Oscar. So really, really cool moment. And Oprah's fantastic. Oprah's featured in the interview. And at one point she says, you know, when I first met him, he was like... It kind of almost sounds like Hannibal Lecter. He's like, good afternoon, my dear. Like, it's it's the moment I've been Larry's. waiting for. Yeah. It was, it look, I get, look I get the reference now. Yeah, look at me. Look at <laughs> it was just for Cody. It's like I almost faint I'm like, oh, my God, it's Sydney. So it's uh, it's an awesome documentary. I loved it. It's available on so Apple+. Oprah,
1: so Oprah wasn't at the awards?
0: You would have thought. She would have been showing up to support Sydney. When they said, the winner is Sydney, I'm like, Oprah. I'm like, no, it's... it's Two other guys. But hey, congratulations (laughs) on making a good documentary. So to recap, we got Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, three Maple Leafs. We got Goodnight Oppie, three Maple Leafs. We got Fire and Love, three and a half Maple Leafs. Fantastic. Maybe I should probably give that four Maple Leafs. It was great. Freaking Chasing Volcanoes. What kind of a life is that? The Automat, two Maple Leafs. And Sydney, I will also give four Maple Leafs. Now it's time for the new movie. That's right, Weird. The Al Yankovic story. Eric Apple. Or maybe it's Eric Appel. Not totally sure. Writer director, right now. And joining us now is Eric Appel. that's right, he is the director and co-writer of the new film, Weird, the Al Yankovic of Extroach will be in theaters this Friday. Uh, really entertaining, really funny, Eric. I was reading this quote from Al Gankovic in which he said, I hope this confuses a lot of people. We want to lead them down a path to think, is this a real biopic? Is this the real story? The movie starts there pretty normal, then it progressively goes way off the rails. So I knew nothing going in. I just thought it was going to be a fairly straightforward rags Rich's riches biography and I'm watching it. Oh, I didn't know he came from that background, kind of an abusive father, at least verbally abusive, wasn't supportive. And then once Madonna showed up, I'm like, okay, I, I think I'm watching something different here. When you guys were collaborating, coming up with the script,
2: when did you say to yourselves, "All right, let's have some truth, let's have some fiction, let's just have fun with it"? Um, I mean, I think from the jump, it was kind of let's just have fun with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the there, there's I, I think there's maybe like three percent fact in in the movie. <laughs> uh, I mean, the songs are real. Al had a, an important relationship with Dr. Demento. His parents, in reality, were very supportive. Um, I think like they got him his accordion and like had him take accordion <laughs> lessons. But you know Al has always uh he lived such a uh, lives such a controversy free life you know he doesn't curse he never drink or do drugs or and you know it wouldn't make for that interesting of a biopic if it was just his true story so we were like let's just make the craziest you know let's let's create the ultimate biopic we'll take all these tropes yeah. you know from uh from from biopics past and uh and 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 just kind of go, yeah, go off the rails and try to surprise audiences. Like, not only are they not getting a true story, but it's it, it sort of veers away from, like, biopic territory. <laughs> like,
0: too. Yeah, I think that's the freshest part of it, because you're right. If you're just making something that's a biopic, a familiar story, how can you differentiate it? You guys certainly accomplished that goal, while including some of that stuff, like you said, the drinking, the drugging, that kind of stuff. The, the Madonna character I mean, is just hysterical. Like, Evan Rachel Wood's portrayal of her, um, just the look, the sound, the relationship—is there any truth
2: to that? Like, did they date? Give me—is there anything there? Well, I'll tell you the, the 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 tiny nugget of truth, which was like the inspiration for the story of her character in the movie, is <clears throat> when Al recorded "Like a Surgeon." Um, he had heard that Madonna had sort of like requested it, or was like, "When is Weird Al gonna parody my song?" And that was like the jumping-off point for him doing like a surgeon. So we took that and we just like took it to the extreme. It's like okay, so not only does she want him to parody the song, but she's like going to be this evil seductress who like you know will will stop at nothing to get Al to like parody her uh, to parody her music. And you know the movie we needed a villain. You know we needed a villain in the movie, and uh, it's funny. I told Evan like obviously play create your version of Madonna here you know, it's not, it's not the true story of, of Madonna. Uh, so have, have a lot of fun with the character. Just kind of create like the arch villain version of Madonna. I said that this is like, you're not playing Madonna so much as you're playing the idea of Madonna. <laughs> like, this is like what my grandmother probably th- thought Madonna was like. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Like I thought it was such a unique portrayal. Cause you're right. She had the, the outward artifice of it, but it was like a heightened reality of it. And like you said, it becomes sinister and evil, which is just really funny. Daniel's terrific as Weird Al, but again, I was reading this article in New York Times, interview with both of them by Dave Itzkoff, and it's true. When I picture Al, he's like lanky. And like when I'm watching Daniel Rackett, like he's a fairly short guy. And when I was watching, I'm like, I think, I don't think Al's that short. I'm like, okay, well, go with it. Like the the faces definitely resembles each other. I mean, you guys did a great job with the hair, the mustache, the mannerisms. What I didn't realize is that Al picked
2: out Daniel. He was like, no, I want that guy to play me. Tell me that story. Yeah. I mean, you know, when when discussing who we wanted to uh, uh, to portray it, well, you know, it's funny. Like, people say, like, I agree. If this was just a straightforward Weird Al biopic and I saw that Daniel Radcliffe was cast <laughs> – it, yeah, it's a bizarre choice. I don't know if it's necessarily the right one, <laughs> but for like this bizarro version of Al that we've created in this movie, um, like there's no one that could play it, uh, I think, better than better than Radcliffe did. We wanted someone to, um, you know, someone who was a great dramatic actor a- a- as well as a, a comedic actor you know, obviously Dan carried like that whole Harry Potter franchise on his back. Like he's such a great dramatic leading man. And he, and like all these choices that he's made post Harry Potter are just bonkers and hilarious and weird. Um, we're like, you know, this is going to be a guy that, that just gets it. I think he's going to totally understand the assignment and like not try to push the comedy because like our script, you know, it's funniest when it's just played the straightest, like we wanted the absurdity of, you know, what's happening in these scenes, or the absurdity of this dialogue to really shine. Just you know, being played as like dramatically as possible, or you know, uh, he, him uh, Dan playing it like the top of his emotional intelligence. <laughs> and uh, uh, I mean, he did. He totally. He totally got it, and, and he nailed it. Yeah, I thought he was
0: terrific in the movie. And you're right. It, it, by the end, it feels like a doppelganger. I'm sure when Al was on set, probably like, wait, is that me or is that me? I'm like, okay, no, sure. Because I think on set you were calling for Weird Al and you meant Dan, but someone's
2: Yankovic would think it was him. Well, the weird the the, the strangest scene was like because Al plays a character in the movie. Right. So having to direct that scene where it's real Al playing a character talking to movie Al. Uh, and, and just, you know, I'd walk in the set and I'd be like, okay, so Al, and you know, it's like two people turn and look at me, (laughs) it got, it got a little confusing and yeah, but it was like a joy watching Al watch the movie version of himself, like, you know, behind the monitors. Uh, most people that are in biopics, like don't have that luxury because they're long dead. Right. You yeah, know, that's you, true. you get to see the person playing
0: you. A hundred percent. I thought Rain Wilson was really funny too as uh, Dr. Demento. How did Al come up with the name of Weird Al? Because in the movie, it's just like Dr. Demento gave it to him. Is
2: that what happened in real life? Yeah. You know, I I, I wish I could tell you the true story of how he got the name Weird Al, but uh, it's funny. I think I'm the first uh, director in the history of making biopics who, who had to do no actual research on the real life of the person. <laughs> so yeah i'm not sure i i know it wasn't dr demento that gave him the name like that that we just kind of thought would be a funny scene <laughs> yeah i thought the best scenes were
0: when you plan the music because that that does feel like this truly creative inspired moment like he's you know what <laughs> so by the way you directed it specifically when he's sitting with his roommates like, what do you want to do one day he's like I want to make parodies of famous songs. Like this is the one thing he's want to do his whole life. The other guy wants to drive down the one-on-one into oncoming traffic. Yeah, yeah. The other I want to do drugs. So, I just want to make, make popular music and my own parody. Okay, do it. And he comes up with my bologna. And it's like, it, that felt genuine in, in some level, like it didn't happen that way. But I do think there's a moment for creative artists When you're sitting around going i think we got it i think we cracked it that to me there felt like some authenticity within that process
2: yeah i I thank you for noticing that i mean that was one of our major goals with this like we wanted we wanted things like that to not just be silly and funny we wanted it to land like we wanted the emotional beats of the movie to like actually land and that's really the thing that i want audiences to take away from it or, or what I want people to be su- surprised by is that it's not, you know, we're not just, we're not making airplane, you know, it's not yeah. just like wall to wall gags. I think a lot of people are going to walk into this expecting to see a Weird Al music video in movie form. And it's, it's not that, you know, <laughs> it's, it's something entirely different and, and weird and and different in its, in its own way. But yeah, I, I, I it was uh really when I got into like, editing I would sit there with the editors and just say like I can't believe like this I can't believe this is working you know like <laughs> I mean we wrote the script I directed it I was we were on set and but like watching it back it's like man we we like really landed this moment I mean this is <laughs> I I I can't believe these act like we pulled this off yeah, yeah. the actors are incredible and they're like really playing it so genuinely <laughs> you know
0: Oh, yeah. Like, I think Another One Rides a Bus is a great song. Like, I'm like, you, you can see why this is so infectious and clever and funny. Is there a favorite song of Alice Catalog that you yourself particularly appreciate
2: or enjoy? Yeah. I mean, like, my, main, I, I, God, I love so many of them. Um, but the one, you know, when I was in like sixth grade, that's when, uh, uh, Off the Deep End came out with, with Smells Like Nirvana. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that was just, I wore out my cassette tape. It was my favorite thing in the world was this album and uh, my favorite track on that album was uh the white stuff which is like a new kids on the block right stuff parody about oreo cookies it's like i mean i, it's, of I love a food-based uh, a food-based weird Al song but it was uh yeah was just such a specific the song being so narrow and it's sco- it's so specifically about or- eating oreo cookies um uh, I, I mean, that's always been like my my favorite that I like go back to. Oh, yeah. Did uh, Daniel take accordion lessons or how did you guys manage that? You know, our very first conversation with Dan, which was uh, probably a year and a half before the movie got made, when he told us, I read the script. I love it. I want to do it. The first thing out of his mouth after that was, I, I'm so I mean, I'm gonna learn accordion. Uh, do you, re, you know, can you recommend what kind of accordion I should buy? I mean, this is before the movie's even greenlit. He was like, I'm gonna get an accordion and start like learning now, right? It, it, like, just in case this movie actually does get made. Um, so I think he he uh he has a friend who like is is a great accordion player and was an accordion teacher who, who made like video tutorials for him, I think and like wow. where where like uh, like highlighted the buttons to hit and the, like taught him specifically how to play these um Al songs that were gonna be in the movie, you know, well enough like he's, you know, the accordions an incredibly difficult instrument. Uh, you know, he could play well enough that he could fake it realistically like in the you know when we filmed he's playing a hollowed out accordion that doesn't make like awful squonk noises when he (laughs) closes it but uh uh but yeah he you know Al gave him a couple of lessons as well it was a really fun email thread to be on of like I have Daniel Radcliffe sending videos of like his accordion progress (laughs) and Al like sending videos back that are like, no, maybe a little more like this. (laughs) I'm just like not even commenting. I'm like just there along for the ride. Observing. Wow. It's pretty amazing. (laughs) I
0: I love the cameos as well. Uh, Will Forte is great. You mentioned Al has a role himself. I particularly love Conan O'Brien playing
2: Andy Warhol. Tell me how you got Conan involved. I mean, really all of those cameos are from, they're like personal friends of Al's. Uh, You know, he's got a really deep Rolodex of like comedy personalities throughout the years that he's become friends with. And, you know, we had a lot of cameo roles to fill. And basically, Al gave me like his list of people that he sends holiday cards to. (laughs) 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 It was like, okay, here's all the people that like I know well enough that I can reach out uh, personally and just ask if they'll do it. And it's amazing how quickly the responses came in. I mean, I I want to say in the case of Conan, you know, Al reached out to him and like 15 minutes later texted me and was like, Gordon O'Brien is in. Yes. He's like, when and where? Where Where am I showing up? Um, so yeah, it was, uh, I mean, that day in particular, the, you know, this pool party scene that has like a ton of cameos was, God, what a joy to shoot that scene and just have all these like comedy heroes of mine, you know, all in the same uh, backyard together and like watching them all collectively realize what they're a part of you know as 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 we're filming this scene like it was such a joyous day
0: yeah i could totally imagine that weird the al Yankovic story again it's going to be in theaters but also streaming tell people where they can see it
2: yeah you can see it uh streaming on the roku channel um it is free To anyone that wants to watch it If you have a Roku enabled TV, you can watch it You could just go to uh, Roku.com And find it there, and yeah, I hope everyone Does. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's a different world Now, right, with their movies, but I'm sure you, like Many, are like, listen, I just want to make a film And if it's in theaters, great, and I want it to be available for streaming as well, I think it's really smart the way you guys Have approached this.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm just uh, I'm just so stoked that, like, Roku uh, Decided to Take this leap of faith and make this Movie that on paper sounds Like maybe it's not going to work, but uh, but I mean, it's the the response to the screenings we've had so far have just been incredible, and uh, and and Roke has been great partners.
0: I love the fact I saw Dan was saying he's a little worried what his uh, girlfriend's parents are going to say. Apparently, they're big Weird Al fans. So he's like, I'm curious what their reaction is going to be. So it's it's funny you, know, you make this movie. Hundreds of people are gonna say it. And you're like, I'm just worried about my, my potential in-laws. That's really if I can if I can satisfy them, that's good yeah, news. As I don't well. want this movie to like ruin any relationships. <laughs> exactly. That's the bottom line. Weird is the Al Yankovic story. Eric Capel is the co-writer and director. Thanks so much, Eric. I really appreciate the time.
2: Best of luck with the project and hopefully we get a sequel. Great. Oh my God, I would love it. Yeah. Thanks so much. The first biopic ever to have a sequel. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, are you a Weird Al guy, Chris? I feel like you missed the, the height of Weird Al in the 80s, but what do you think of the idea of a guy who just makes up songs on famous
1: lyrics? I don't think, I think it was the 90s, the height of it. I remember Bat, uh, like, Eat It, eat it, yeah. eat it. I remember all of it. Like, yeah, dude, I, I had a bunch of his albums, uh, Big Weird Al Guy. I'm a little, like, it, I love this interview that it's like, I've never heard an interview with a biopic where it's just like, no facts. We made it all up. It's all like, like, I'm kind of like, I, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, I want to watch the movie. I'm like interested in it. But yeah. I, I want a biopic. I want to feel like, and when I'm watching a biopic that this is what it like, I know that there are some creative liberties, but I don't, I don't know if I like the fact that it's just all shooting from the hip and no, no, he like, he joking, the director laughingly was like, I didn't have to learn anything about his real life. And I was just like, this is, this is weird. Hey, that, maybe that's why it's weird. They yeah. yeah. And I didn't know that going in. So the first twenty
0: minutes, I feel like it's a genuine biopic, and you see his like parents are being very difficult on him, like Al, when are you going to study, when are you going to learn something? And and like the first time he ends up, you know, with with my Sharona, thinking of uh, what was that? I can't remember what the song is. But like when that moment comes together, it really kind of feels unique. Oh my God, that's what happened in real life. But once he meets Madonna, who is fantastic in the movie, Evan Rachel Wood does an awesome Madonna, Evan Rachel Wood, Marilyn Manson's ex. But once he meets Madonna. And they start having a relationship, like, wait, we're was sleeping with Madonna? I'm like that's wild. Wow, and you're like Googling
1: wild. stuff, you're like watching, yeah. you're like Googling it. Yeah. And
0: then it, it takes a couple of wild detours, like, okay, now we're definitely into
1: fantasy land. This did not happen. Like, how does Madonna feel about that? That that's so like like do they say on the front end, just so you know, none of this actually happened. Yeah. Like <laughs> And how do they, how do his parents feel? They might they probably pass at this point, but how do his like it, it, it just casually the director drops in that interview? By the way, his parents were great to him. And it's like, oh <laughs> like, I get it though if you're gonna make a movie you gotta have like you can't all just be happy so I get it but yeah. it was just I, I, I was just like while I'm listening to that I'm like huh so none of it's true it shouldn't be called a biopic, then. <laughs>
0: right. It's just a Weird Al movie, and that's what it is. It's weird, and it's funny, and you should check it out. It's available on Roku. A lot of people ask, where the hell can I watch the Weird Al movie? It's available on Roku, so check it out on the Roku channel. Anyways, thanks as always to Chris Cody and the entire standing crew here at Metalark Media. I will be uh, seeing all of you soon for Moss. Yes, yes. Moss, family, December 10th. Have an awesome Thanksgiving. Go watch plane Trains, and Automobiles. Enjoy the football. Enjoy the turducken, and I'll see you at the movies.